Thank you for joining us today. This is Clint Byers, lead pastor of Forward Church. I pray this message blesses and encourages you. I hope it inspires transformative grace in your heart and establishes you even deeper in your new covenant identity in Christ. Now take a deep breath, become aware of God's spirit within you, and enjoy the message. I figure I, I figure I'd just talk about Jesus today. Um, so, last week we um, we talked about the love of God, and we talked about the love of God from the perspective that it's not just how God feels about you; it's not just God's intention towards you. It is these things. It is how God feels about you. It is God's intention towards you. It is his motivation towards you, but it's not just that. And we went through all these passages that talk about God's love is an actual spiritual force coming out of him into your heart that has an effect. So like right now, sitting here in this moment, as you let it all go and you let God love you, it doesn't just produce goosebumps. It doesn't just produce warm, fuzzy feelings. It actually nourishes you into a place of wholeness. It helps you deal with those mindsets that are destructive. The love of God pouring into your heart. So let's say you're sitting there and you've got this terrible sin habit that you just can't break free from and it's rooted in a trauma in your past. It's rooted in something that legitimately was an injustice in your life. And when you think about it, it still grips you. And if you've never been through something like this, maybe you're unaware, but I'm telling you, there are people that have been through things. Maybe it wasn't just an injustice or a trauma that you have in your life. Maybe it's a loss. Maybe you've lost something. Or maybe it's a continual disappointment. You know, people just continually tend to disappoint you in this particular area. You know, maybe, maybe in relationship. There are people that are later into their lives and just for their entire lives have struggled with a, a meaningful, loving, supportive relationship. And I've seen it. And people have just gone from one bad experience to another, one bad experience to another. There's some heart dynamics going on in that type of situation. But what I'm saying is it gets you to a place where you just become dulled and desensitized and you just kind of settle into where you are. And, and trauma will do that. Trauma will cause, thing, cause your heart to shut off from everything that might potentially hurt you, even from God. If you have disappointments and failures in your life, it can bring you to the point where you will not open your heart to him to let him bring wholeness to those areas that are broken and hurting because you don't want to go there. You don't want to take off that bandage. You don't want to take off. You don't want to open that wound again and deal with it. But when you let God love you, it desensitizes the, the intensity of that area and lets healing start to be poured into that place, right? Like one of my favorite things when I was a kid was if I ever got cut, which happened a lot, was to pour peroxide in it because I loved watching it bubble up, you know. And, and in my mind, I'm thinking oh, the peroxide is eating everything that's bad and, and the cut can coagulate, right? I don't know. It's, it's just anybody ever, you love peroxide? Who loves peroxide? <laughs> There's a lot of you. Okay. That's funny. 
So I, I, I kind of imagine the love of God the same way, right? It's like the love of God is being poured. It's, it, this, it's described as being shed abroad in your heart. The love of God is being poured into your heart. The heart is where you believe from. The heart is where you affect the world around you because it filters your identity and your choices. Everything you do flows out of your heart. And then there's an even physical energetic side to your physical heart that has an effect in the world, but certainly that soulish spiritual heart. The love of God being poured into that heart will heal those areas that are broken. And, 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 and I, I get it. We don't want to open up to that because we feel like, you know what? I've done pretty good so far. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to put myself in a position to be hurt again, but you're still feeling that sense of, Ugh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't want to think about that. I don't want to go there. It's too painful. I'm over that. I'm not going to, no, 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 no. But I'm telling you, there's healing for you. There's healing. You can be made whole to the point where nothing in this life that has happened to you or will happen to you will hurt you beyond the significance that you attach to it. And that's what the love of God can do is undo that significance that you've attached to it. Undo that weight that is still defining you because it still has an effect in you because of something that happened to you. And it's limiting what you're allowing to do, uh, allowing God to do through you. And we don't want to limit God. We want to be completely open so that we personally are experiencing abundant life, but then we are not looking at people, other people. You know, I've, I've seen counseling. There was a counseling situation I was a part of, and it was a really intense situation. And both of them would come to me, but only, the, only she would go to another counselor, and the other counselor was another female. And the other female had particular persuasions, and what would come back to me from the wife in the particular situation was just all of this, um, a case against why not to try to patch things up, given to by the counselor. And it's like, I'm not so sure that's the best counselor for you to be speaking to because it sounds like you just, you're just showing up ready for battle than healing. You know, be careful who you listen to. Be careful who you expose your heart to. Because if they haven't dealt with their stuff, you don't need to be listening to them. And you see that. You see people that huddle around each other. They get in their groups of people that have common injustices and traumas and reinforce. And next thing you know, they've all just made these decisions about the world. And they've reinforced it to each other. And they're like the prickly mean club. <laughs> That's the Democratic Party. <laughs> he said, is that the Democratic Party? I don't know. Let's ask Mike. He's been up to Washington. I think both sides, all of them are pretty splintered. That, that's, I, caveat, that, that's the thing that's so disappointing to me is how vehement both sides are toward each other. I mean, you have a president that's saying democracy is on the ballot. If the Democrats lose, democracy is gone. And then you feel like, as probably a conservative, you're like, oh, no. Uh, we've got a, or, or a Democrat would feel like, oh no, democracy, we got the Nazis coming in and the racists are coming in, democracy's going to be gone. Well, you know what they're talking about. They're talking about abortion. I couldn't help it. I kind of just jumped back in there, didn't I? <laughs> the, here, here's the point. Now, 
You probably, as a more conservative mindset person, you look at that side saying to their base, watch out, if we don't win, this country's failed and gonna doom, be doomed and, you know, Jimmy Superfly Snooker is gonna come in with the claw and you're done, you know, it's like, there's a, there's a comedian out there, Jim Brewer, I'm telling you, go look it up on YouTube. There may be some bad words in there, so don't hold it against me. But he, but he pits the Republicans against the Democrats from a WWF wrestling, professional wrestling, he's a comedian. It is hilarious because there's so much truth in it. But let me, so, so for example, and then I'm going to get to this scripture here, but for example, think, think about this, all right? I know I'm jumping you around in your mind, but, but stick with me here for a minute. Think, think about this. You look at the president, the ex-president, that guy somewhere, and they're saying, if we, the Democrats, lose, democracy is gone. Now, do you believe that? Yeah. Do you think that's ridiculous? Yeah. Okay, now, think about whatever you think might be the worst-case scenario if the left wins and all the emotion that you have built up about that, it's probably not true either. I mean, it's hard to think of it that way, isn't it? Anyway, I'm just going to go back over here. All right, so all of that talking about the love of God being poured into your heart to bring you to a place of healing. You know, if we're going to actually represent, if Christians, since I'm pushing your buttons today, if Christians would actually operate in the authority that we have, the kingdom of God would be the loudest voice in this earth. If Christians would actually stand in our identity in Christ, there might be more persecution. There might be more of a paradox of good versus evil. evil. But if Christians, if we would stand in the authority that we actually have, if we would actually obey and follow God to the degree where we don't, we're, we don't have the fear of man leading us, but we're actually vocal, we actually stand up and speak out, and we actually represent Jesus... I'm telling you, it'd be a much different world. That, and it's an ideal that I think the kingdom of God is moving toward to build us up into those pillars of faith in this society. I mean, we are being conformed into the image of Christ. What would it look like if there were three or four billion people that looked like Jesus on the planet? Because that's the potential. The spirit of the living God inside the heart of each believer is seeking to conform each person into the image of Christ, who is the image of the invisible God. Doing the things that he did, answering questions the way that he answered questions, navigating society. Are you with me? Now, that's the pie-in-the-sky ideal, but it's possible. That's what, I'm, that's what I want to do. I want to speak to your spirit. I want to speak to your renewed heart, that new heart that God gave you. And I want, when you leave out of here, you've got the mindset of a, not a particular political party, but a kingdom agent, an ambassador of the kingdom. Because when you know who you are, 
The doing is self-evident. When you're affirmed and fully aware of who you are, you just know what to do. Like those of you that have kids in whatever parental role that you're in, you might learn from other people, but in a sense, day to day, you just do what needs to be done because you know what needs to be done. Are you with me? Whatever role that you're in and your job, you just do what you do because you know what needs to be done. I'm praying for Christians to rise up and that we just do what needs to be done. We stand in knowing who we are. And so the doing is just the fruit. And I don't want to sit and pray and beg God to show up. God, show us what to do. I want to wake up every morning, morning full of purpose, full of knowledge, full of awareness that this is the task at hand, that, that your spiritual advancement of the kingdom to-do list is never done because in your, it's just who you are. It's not something that you got to figure, oh, well, should I be doing this? Should I be doing that? Should I? You know, that, that, that's the double-mindedness that we get into between carnal and spiritual thinking, that we're so entrenched in our identity in this earth that political seasons move us more than the Spirit of God on the inside of us. Y'all are looking at me, so I better keep preaching. Here we go. So John 5. Let me, I've got a lot to read here. I don't even know if we're going to read it all. What time is it? It's 12.09. Shoot, we're done. Let's go home. Um, John 5. Now, I want to read through. You can pull that down for just a second. But I want to, I'm going to read a lot of Scripture. In, in, in Hebrew culture, it was, and, and even early in the church, it was a practice to just read Scripture publicly and openly. So I've got a lot to read here. I'm not, it's, it's out of John 5 and 6, not the whole chapter, but a significant portion of the chapters. If you want to flip to John chapter 5 and right after John chapter 6, I'm going to read from the ESV. But the, what, I, what really stood out to me about why I felt like the Lord put on my heart to bring this in this week is to just get the mindset about ourselves of who God is and what He wants for us to get the mindset put on firmly and fixed deeply inside of our hearts why God even sent Jesus into this earth for you. You know, he, he's more interested in what he wants for When you know what he wants for you, just live it out. Are you with me? All right. So let's read. It's going to be John chapter 5. If you would follow me along back there, Chris, Christy, Christine... Chris with four names, yep. Uh, John 5, 19, Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, the Son does likewise. All right, now, I'm just going to tell you, I'm going to read, for the sake of time, I'm going to read through this kind of fast. But if you, if you want to use this as a homework assignment this week, and take the whole week to do it, Go through and read it slowly. Read every word slowly. And you're not waiting for something magic to happen. You're just kind of taking time to let this sink in. You know, so as you read it slowly, you're also just keeping your heart and your mind aware of the Holy Spirit because the Spirit's the teacher. The Holy Spirit is who you really need to teach you because He will illuminate to you what you need out of this word in the moment. Like, we read it to try to make sure we get it right and we know the truth of it and we understand it. 
but the Holy Spirit will make it alive to you so that it's something that feeds you, so that it's something that you can actually live from. You know, I want to, when I go to the Word, I want to come away knowing how to live and not just what to do, but knowing, not knowing how to live, but knowing that I have life in this, right? Like if, like if life, whatever you ever get lost in life, it's like go to the Word because the Word is life. And it feeds you in such a way that, that it just, it, I'm telling you, it just illuminates the right thing to do, how to feel about a situation, who to go minister to. As you're reading the Word and as you're going slowly and you're letting these words speak to you, the Holy Spirit will teach you and inform you and guide you and instruct you. It's good to come hear sermons and preach and laugh a little and be challenged and learn. I, I love it. You know, I know that we're doing exactly what God would want us to do. But what you really need even more than this, and I think we do need this, but what you need more than this is to learn how to go and sit with the Word and let the Holy Spirit teach you. Because His opinions won't upset you. Well, they might. Or, let's keep going. So, right off the bat, from this very first verse, what, it stand, what stands out to me is, but but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Leave it there for just a moment. All right, so Jesus is showing us the Father. So through chapters 5 and 6, and really on, all the way up to verse 12, and then he gets to teaching. A couple of weeks ago, I gave you the homework assignment. Read John 14, 15, 16, 17 to look at the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit. But in this, here's, here's what really stood out to me, and I hope that this is what you get out of this. Jesus is showing us the heart of God for us. The heart of God for you is, is that. It's what He wants for you, not even necessarily what He wants from you. Unfortunately, most of Christianity, most of Christian education and teaching and preaching is all about what God wants from you not for you. And it's not that you don't do, because we do do. I hope that we do plenty when we know who we are, but it's when you're really rock solid in what He wants for you. Because then that love and that spirit will teach you beyond intellectual information and knowledge. So, Jesus only does what he sees the Father doing. And what did Jesus do? He went around helping people, setting people free from condemnation, not jumping in on the guilt and condemnation toward people. He was hard on legalistic people that were misusing the Word of God. He, he clearly talked about the, the, the goal that the Father sent me into this earth to do is to live in such a way and to bear witness of the Father so that people will believe on me and inherit eternal life. And he says it over and over and over and over. So, verse 20, and now I'll read more. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all that He Himself is doing, and greater works than these will He do, so that you may marvel. Think about that. Just leave it on verse 20 for a minute. That's what God wants. God wants to do such radical things through Jesus, who is in you now, so that you would marvel. Like, that's what God wants to do. God wants to be so good to you 
that you just sit back and wow. Okay. Wow. So that you'd marvel. Have you marveled at God lately? What what causes you to marvel at God? Unfortunately, we typically only think about healings and miracles and signs and wonders. That's a pretty good effect to marvel at so that you would marvel. That's the heart of God. God wants to do such amazingly good things for you that you would marvel. I got stuck on that this week. Verse 21, for as the Father raises the dead, notice it's the Father that raises the dead. Oftentimes we get this image that God's mad Jesus is the nice one and protects us from the angry God. That's a Greek Roman construct overlaid on top of who God really is that is still pervasive in the church today, unfortunately. The Father raises the dead, gives them life. So also the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one. What? This will shake you up right here but has given all judgment to the Son. And what has is, what is the Son done with the judgment? You can answer that. What has the Son done with the judgment? He took, it on he took it on Himself. Verse 23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Now, does that make you want to run out and sin and live recklessly? No, it makes me want to protect it. Verse 25, Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself... So he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And then we later are taught that that life is in us. Verse 27, and he has given him authority to execute judgment because he is the Son of Man. That's a whole other thing. But verse 28, do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice. Now, this is, remember, this is pre-crucifixion and resurrection. Um, verse 29, and come out those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, is your salvation, is your salvation based on whether you've done good or done evil? He's talking about the people that had not heard until now, but then also in the resurrection... When all of us go before the Father, there is a judgment for your works. Now, if you said yes to Christ and you're, you know, you're born again, your works are judged for rewards. And those who have not received Him, their works are judged also. But casting into the lake of fire is not a punishment for the works. It's because you are, you've not been made righteous. You've not said yes to Jesus. You can't cohabitate with God eternally. So, but also, too, another point here is found in 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19, and I, I threw this in just to, just to 
make this fine point. If you want to go ahead and throw that up, 1 Peter 3, 18. For Christ also suffered once for sins for the righteous, uh, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, that's talking about on the cross, Jesus died. He passed into the grave. I personally believe he went into Hades first as you to suffer that place, to then overcome that place. And once he overcame death and hell, he then went into probably in Hades and in paradise and preached to, so that everybody will have had the chance to hear the gospel. And, and you hear this question, well, there are people in the Indian nations where there's 1%, you know, like Sri Lanka or something like, where there's 1% Christianity, there are millions of people dying every day without ever having heard the gospel that are passing into eternity without God. You, you ever heard that? And that is true. There are people dying and passing into eternity without having heard the gospel. I'm just all over the controversial stuff this morning. But let me, I just want to say this. God is not unjust. If Jesus gave those who died before they had the opportunity to hear the gospel an opportunity to hear the gospel in death, surely God in some way will help those who have never heard the gospel on this planet hear the gospel in some way. Now, I'm not suggesting that now, post-resurrection, that people can die and then make a decision or then like go and suffer in hell for a little while and change their mind. I'm, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying, based on this precedent, don't have a mindset of God that just because somebody didn't go preach the gospel into every single village, that means those people automatically are going to hell I mean, you might see it that way, and, and we can agree to disagree. I don't see it that way. I think God, in some way, will bring every person to the opportunity to hear the gospel in some way. Whether they've already heard, there, there is some, gosh, I'm really, there is a case to be said that there was a declaration in the heavens that reverberates that everybody now actually hears it in their hearts and is making a choice whether externally they've been preached the gospel to and they have an opportunity to be born again and live as disciples of Jesus on this planet now. Did you follow me on that? Yeah. I mean, that, that, you know, even if somebody doesn't get the opportunity to be born again and be a disciple of Jesus on this planet now, I think God is just in some way revealing to every person so that there's a choice. I don't think there's millions and millions of people dying just because some missionary never made it to them and they're inherently going to hell immediately. All right, let's keep going. But just because I think the heart of the Father is more just to reveal to people in some way. I don't know how, but I just think so. John 5, 30, continuing on, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just. Because I seek not all, I seek not my own, <clears throat> my, not my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. Anything you see Jesus doing is because that's who God is. It's what God wants. 
If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There's another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent John, you you sent to John, and he is now he's speaking to the 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 Jews of the day that are supposed to be receiving the Messiah and cooperating with him and ushering in the messianic age, and but yet they were no, that's, I'm not going into all that. He's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to the people that should have seen him coming. Verse 34, Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. That's what he wants, so that you may be saved. He's not looking for a reason to... He's not looking to make it easy for people to slip into eternity without him. Verse 35, He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice... For a while in his light, talking about John the Baptist, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John for the works that the Father has given me to do to accomplish the very works that I'm doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who has sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not choose because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Again, the big idea that I'm wanting to kind of sink in here is grasp God's heart for you. And God's heart for you is revealed in Jesus. If you're going to believe anything about God, make sure it's from when God declares his attributes himself or in the life of Jesus. Not your interpretation of life's circumstances. If you're going to believe anything about God, take God at His word or look to Jesus, not what some person told you of why that happened in your life, even if that person is a preacher. Are you with me? Like, like your beliefs about God should come out of when God says, this is who I am. And Jesus then shows us who God is. Those are the beliefs that should form what you believe about God. That's the, that's the information that you take to persuade your mind and your heart. This is who God is. Not, this didn't happen. Well, this happened. Well, this person laid hands on me, and now I can do this. Or All the weird dynamics that we get about our beliefs and our, our theology should come from when God says, this is who I am. Not, this happened. Well, this is why I think it happened. Therefore, this is who God is. Circumstantial theology. That's what most Christians have, circumstantial theology. Are you with me? It's just true. It's sad, but... John 6, verse 27, Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on Him God the Father has set His seal. Uh, jump with me here. I'm just going to skip through some of these. Go to verse 29. This is the work of God that you believe in. Because they asked him, well, what are we supposed to do? He says, this is the work. Believe. You want to know what you should be doing? Believe. Because believe will then shape you to do. Verse 30. So they said to him, Let me skip down to verse 40. For this is the will of the Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him 
should have eternal life and raise him up on the last day. Let's hold there. Everyone that believes in him should have eternal life. That's what God wants for you. God wants for you to experience eternal life. And when does eternity start? Yeah, it starts when you step into the flow of it. It might have a beginning point for you because you step into what's available eternally, but it's just God's heart for you. It's what God wants for you. God wants you to experience his heart, and his heart is life and not death. Hope and not fear. Peace and not unsettledness and disturbed souls. And, 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 and I'm telling you, if when we dip our minds back into the world and paying attention to the political climate, have more confidence in the kingdom of God have more confidence in the kingdom of God than any political structure. Let, let's vote. Let's be citizens. Uh, Krista emailed and, and, and made the suggestion to possibly fast for the next few days. And I will say, that can be a really good idea. I would add to, um, you're not fasting to try to force God's hand to do anything in particular. I think fasting tunes our hearts and we get more in line with the will of God. And as we are in line with the will of God and we're believing, we can have an influence in a certain way. So if you fast, make sure you're not fasting from a place of lack. Make sure you're not fasting from a place of, well, this is what I want God to do. And I know that if we do this, in your inner man in line with God. And if, just out of curiosity, how many of you have been feeling like a call too fast over the next couple of days? Yeah, a few of you. So I would say, and even if, if I'm not trying to put a job on you, but if those of you that do have that on your heart, maybe meet back there at the end of the service and just kind of an influence over the world around us, not out of fear that if we don't do it, the world's going to fall apart. How's everybody doing? Doing all right? I know we jumped all around today. Next week, we're going to jump back into um, continuing more about the Father's heart. But as you walk out of here today, be kingdom-minded. Don't let what happens on Tuesday ruin your life. Maybe it's not as intense for y'all, but I just get all these messages from people. That, that may be what it is. I'm trying to read the room a little bit and trying to kind of stay sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but I get these, and I'm not talking about Krista's email. I'm talking about people that send me messages that it's like if, you, if the Democrats win, then Satan himself is going to be president. <laughs> and some of you are sitting there going, well, that's true. He is. Satan is president. I don't know. It's, it's, so, it's just so polarizing and, and challenging and difficult, and it's a little awkward to even comment on all that stuff, but, I, you know, may it be about Jesus, and, and, but, and may we try to preserve a nation that protects what God gave us and get government out of the way. If there's a party that would limit government and get out of everything in our lives and just, just ensure that we can do and pursue the things that God has given us freely, that's who I want to vote for. Mike, come on up here. Let's see if you can clean that mess up. 
Now, the, 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 the thing, I, it, it's just not my calling to comment on that stuff. You know what I mean? I, I know what I believe. I have my perspectives. But then, but then I believe that that's where somebody like Mike comes in that is called and speaks that language and can say it in such a way where you're like, yeah, I shouldn't have said anything. Let's, let's just let him talk. But also, too, let me say this. I appreciate about you because even when y'all, were you in Senate when y'all first started coming? No. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, so that came later. You ran for Senate. And how long were you in, in Georgia Six, Senate? Five years. Five years. Yeah. Even during that time, you never once uh, put pressure for more of that type of language in this church. You, you know, I appreciate you and Tracy never, never made us feel like we were lacking for not talking more about it. And, and those of you that are listening, I don't, I don't want you to get the perspective of that because he is called to this realm and literally could be president of the United States oh, yeah. if, the, if the thing, if, you know, if everything came together in the right way, this man has the capacity to do that. But personally, I just wanted to say thanks for never putting pressure from that political weirdness to shape the church, but then also for being willing to speak on these matters from the spiritual perspective because it has helped me. And now I'm realizing I probably should have not said anything and just let you say something. But anyway, what's on your heart? Well, uh, thank you, Pastor. I do want to clear one thing up. Okay, yeah, please do. If (laughs) if I actually said that you are the most liberal person I know. It was probably a joke. I I meant it in the the best sense of the term of liberality, right? I mean, because you can be liberal with your giving. You can be liberal with your love. Uh, you can be liberal with your patience, and, and all says, those apply to you. And who says you're not a politician? Very nice. I'm going to sit down for a minute. Yeah, I was going to suggest. <laughs> <clears throat> you know, last week, uh, Pastor gave us a great assignment. Do y'all remember it? I mean, I actually did it for once. And, um, well, I've done it more than once. But he asked us to go to, I think it's Info Bible, or what's that website? Open Bible, right. And talk about where God talks about um, love and his love for us. Let me find it here. Hold on. And who would have thought a great scripture comes out of Zephaniah? I mean, I know all of you's favorite scriptures kind of land in that realm, right? But this, this one jumped out at me, and this one hit me just, I guess maybe, you know, it's always the Lord speaks to us where we are at the, at the moment. But it says, the Lord your God is in your midst. Uh, this is Zephaniah 3.17. A mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. That, that resonated in my spirit. I mean, it just, I don't know what was going on in my, my world that day, but he will quiet me by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That is fabulous to me, that my God, who gave his son for me, looks at me in that way. That just empowers me to be a better husband, a better father, a better church member, a better citizen, a better everything. How many people can you quiet with your love? Can we quiet a nation with his love? I say we can. We can, but we can't if we don't participate. He gave us, you know, the um, love into the world around us. Christians today, God's just looking for us to witness of his great love into the world around us. 
That's it. And so on Tuesday, it's just another opportunity for whoever's on the ballot doesn't matter. But your participation is a witness of God's love in you. How are you going to participate? How are you going to let that voice reflect what God is doing in your life? And so what was interesting when Clint asked earlier who had early voted, half the folks raised their hands. And then he said who was going to vote, and the other half raised their hands. So that's 100% participation out of this church, which is pretty cool. I, for the first time ever, I voted early. I hadn't done that before. And it was kind of weird. And uh, leave it to me to go into the, the precinct and have everybody talking. And I, I, <laughs> luckily, nobody else was in there except precinct workers, so it was pretty entertaining. But anyway, you can imagine me in a precinct talking. Um, but what, what's neat about what I saw was that, you know, people in this room want to make sure their voice is heard. Um, the key's going to be, is that what prevails around through our entire society, right? Is the Christian voice going to be heard in this election? And that's the question. And the argument is it won't. Um, let me count. One, two, three, four, five, six. All right, first two rows stand up. I'm just going to give you a demonstration, right? And this makes it easy so everybody else can see. All right, we've got five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. To make math look well and not, y'all, as pastor's family, y'all sit down. Y'all just, all right, so now I got ten folks still standing, right? So this is going to reflect all the potential voters in Georgia. There's seven million potential voters in Georgia, right? Right? And so they're represented by this group of 10. In any given election for uh, governor off your election, um, five of you sit down. That's that whole section there. Just sit down because they don't even show up. Right? And they'll wait. It, uh, you sit down too. Actually, six of you don't even show up to vote. Do you see that math? So this is what's left. This is what typically votes. How many does it take to win a, a, an election? Hans Clint, you, you two sit down. This decides. You see the math. It would encourage you to get out and vote, right? Because doesn't it show the weight? Y'all can sit down. Thank you. It's the weight for if this entire body votes like it said it does, do you see the outsized influence it has? You multiply that because those two... Those two left standing, those two that actually decide who gets to represent us in this. And can I clear up something else? We are not a democracy. Can I say that a million times? I am so sick of it. We are not. We are a representative republic that has democratically held elections to send folks to represent us and then make decisions. You don't want a democracy. It's called mob rule. We've talked about it before. Please push back on that narrative. It's corrosive to our country. It's socialist in nature. It's communist at its core. Can, can you explain the uh, electoral college? Oh, my word. <laughs> it's not a presidential year. <laughs> Come on. Well, can we do that another time? Okay. All right, I got to stay on track. That electoral college and the, and the presidential election, that's a whole other thing. Let's save that for next go round, right? If we're still here. But we are. <laughs> 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 
I don't know how that was received, but I know what I meant by that. I, is, you know, the, the, the rapture could happen. Jesus could return. Amen, right? Whatever that looks like, it's a whole other thing. But my, my point is, is this concept of a representative republic, this is what made freedom possible. This kind of framework of government gave free people the opportunity to go to the moon. I mean, do you think Elon Musk would have thrived in South Africa? Did he invent the stuff he did in South Africa? Is, are there places in the world where these kind of great leaps and bounds, Microsoft and Apple, do you think those things were birthed in the heart of tyrannical governments? No, people, all they want to do is survive. And they don't have time to dream and think and imagine. But we've got that great thing, and so all we do is sit and watch Netflix all the time and poison our brains. I mean, guilty is charged, but... They, this thing we call a representative republic, we need to protect it. So the next time Fox uses the word democracy, or they also, they're starting to repeat it. And the great poison of it is, it's like I said, it's socialist and communist in nature. Do you understand what communism's number one goal is? What is communism's number one goal? <clears throat> to abolish religion. Why? Because it doesn't like competition. For communism to thrive, God cannot exist. You understand that? <clears throat> and so what scares me is that half of our young people today think socialism's a good idea. They don't understand socialism is just the first step toward communism. <clears throat> and to do that, they're going to abolish religion. They hate God. Marx hated God for whatever reason. Whatever poisoned his soul, he hated God. And he knew that to, to put forward his ideas into a world, he had to get rid of the concept of God. So this is what's coming. If you don't think it is, what are they, how do they demonize us now? I mean, you look at the political rhetoric that Clint was talking about, and that political rhetoric, do you feel like you're getting boxed in? <clears throat> that they're actually kind of talking at you in a way that's not pleasant, that's because we're, we're tending to be kind of quiet and let it go. Voting is an opportunity to not be quiet. I showed you the math. If churches just voted, and I mean every church, I don't care, if, if churches voted in accordance with their value system or a, a biblical value system, we wouldn't, we wouldn't lose an election ever. And we wouldn't have some of the crazy people we have on the ballots right now. I mean, that's a whole nother thing. But we would be at least electing representatives that are more representative of this body. Well, I mean, wouldn't that, that, anybody in here would be a, a fit and, and servant in public office and be an improvement over most of whom I served with. And I don't say that, just I, I know the type of people I served with. And these are people that have been corrupted by a power system. And so we, I just want to encourage you, we get out there and, and do our part.
And like Clint says, don't let it ruin, you know, ruin your breakfast Wednesday if it doesn't turn out like you want it to be. Don't go stick your head in the sand. It just means we got more work to do, right? We just got to expand our influence and continue our discussions and remind people of who they are in Christ. I think, <clears throat> let, me, let me share another scripture instead of talk so political. I love this framework of government that God, I say God gave it to us. I only think through his re revelation knowledge with our founders that we, how did we come up with something so crazy? I mean, it's pretty, it's a bizarre form of government. There's nothing like it on the planet. Nobody quite does it like we do. It hadn't been perfect, that's for sure, but it sure allowed us to navigate some really awful waters, right? The boat didn't sink along the way. Almost. Almost isn't, but I mean, it, it either did or it didn't. So almost means it didn't sink. Right? All right, let me find this if I can. Y'all bear with me. Maybe we'll close it up with this. Forgive me. I wasn't, like Clint says, I wasn't quite prepared. In Ephesians 3, I mean, talking about love. I want to say something else. Forgive me. Y'all bear with me. Y'all are a patient bunch. Right? I'll go here for, I think this stands out to finish more. First uh, John 3, 1. See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are. Do you hear the declarative statement in that? And so we are. And so you are, and so I am, a child of God. This is, this is the key to our thing. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Who's that on? That's on us. If the world doesn't know God, it's because we didn't tell them. Right? Let's just tell them. We, we got the message. Y'all been in boot camp 101. God loves the world. Amen? He's not mad. We don't have demon lights behind us and, and guard guards. And I'm up here, thou saith the Lord, you're all going to perish and burn. You know, it's none of that. I can't do it like Clint did it, but the smackdown thing. That's not it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whomsoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. And eternal life starts then. Except God, start living. Right? We raise the dead. When Jesus said even greater things, these things you shall do, it's one thing to raise a dead body. But to raise a spirit from the dead to bring somebody to life who is dead unto God, the greatest miracle of all. The world changes when we do that. 1,200 pacots alive unto God, 
I mean, you can see what's going on in that part of the world. They're not arguing about whether men are men and women are women. <laughs> They're just lucky to have a fresh glass of water once a week. But then they heard about this Jesus guy. And they became alive unto God. And they will transform the world around them. We'll do the same thing. We do it. It's such a privilege too, isn't it? Aren't you thankful? <laughs> you don't get loaded up with the burden to go out of here. Say, oh gosh, I got to quit sinning. I got to quit this. I got to do better. I shouldn't smoke. I got to quit drinking. I don't. Uh. Right? Tell, tell the world God loves them. Show the world God loves them. Do it in the, your family. It's a good place to practice. <laughs> right, Glenn? Amen. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Let that sink in, right? I tell you, folks, we, we live in the greatest land, government, framework of government that history's ever known. But we're just lucky that way, right? There's a whole lot of folks that didn't live in it. If you, ever, you know um, A Torture for Christ? Who's read that? Anybody read that book? Um, We'll end on a nice up note. So there's a Romanian prison um, in the 50s. This was not 500 years ago. This wasn't the Dark Ages. This is in our lifetimes, essentially, right? Especially Sam's. And <clears throat> I, I, I had to work it in somewhere. I had to stretch it out. So, um, but there's a, there was a pastor. They were trying, this was... This prison was set up to see if they could convert people from their thinking. And their, what did it say? What did you say? It's the work for us to do is to believe. So their work is to make us not believe. Doubt. They just want us to put a little doubt in, into our faith. And they know it undermines it completely. So this in the 1950s, these folks in Romania, the Communist Party actually was imprisoning pastors. And, and prominent Christians or Catholics in their, in their society. Uh, the Catholic Church saw this long before uh, many people saw the threat of communism. And they were torturing this one particular pastor, and he, he would not yield. So then they brought in his 14-year-old son and started beating him in front of his father. He said, fine, if you won't change your thinking, beating you, we'll just beat him. And he couldn't take it after a while. I mean, I, I won't even describe it. I mean, the, the level of torture in, the, in these depraved people's minds in Romania was un, unimaginable. But the pastor finally called out to his son and said, I can't take it anymore. I'll, I'll profess. And the boy yelled back, screamed back to his dad and said, Do not do me the dishonor of giving me a traitor for a parent. I would rather die with Jesus and the motherland on my lips than to have that burden around my neck. 14. For this reason, Jesus set us free. That's alive. Do you know, is how alive is that young man as he faced, and he was beat to death that very afternoon in front of his father. But how alive was he more alive than most people ever are. But that's it. 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Be honest before man and before God and share the love of God in a way that will transform the world. I guarantee that witness manifest in that room somehow, some way. We don't know. We'll maybe know some other day in eternity. But the power of that witness, even though it resonates now through time, right? Let your witness do the same, right? Don't be silent. For the king is on the throne, and he shall reign eternal. Whether we win on Tuesday, whether the bulldogs they, did they win last night? Is there any Tennessee fans in here? Well, there was a few, right? Right? And are you are you recovering? Right? But 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 there's some news out for the Bulldog Nation, right? You're only on top when you're on top, right? If it only takes one thing to take you off your balance, that shouldn't be it. Don't be a sunshine patriot is what I'm trying to encourage you to be. Be a fan all the time. Be a ball fan all the time. Be a Bulldog fan all the time. Be a Jesus fan all the time. Amen? And not be dismayed. So I'm going to take us out with a word of prayer. We're going to thank you all for coming. Thank you all for being here. A great-looking crowd as always. Um, let's, just, let's just go to the Lord as we dismiss. Father, what a beautiful day you've given us. What a, what a great privilege it is, Lord, that we get to fellowship together in an atmosphere of peace, in an atmosphere of safety. Lord, in an atmosphere with air conditioning and power, all kinds of blessings. We could just go on and on about it, Lord. We're just grateful for that. Lord, may we not take all these privileges lightly, but, you, but use them as we grow and are nurtured, in your admonition, Father. Lord, we just ask that you just give us wisdom as we walk through each of our days. Give us boldness to proclaim your goodness to the world around us in the ways you will show us by your Spirit, Father. For we are your children. And it's on us, Lord, to let the rest of the world know that they can be your children too. Let us introduce them to Jesus, Father, in a way that will awaken their eyes to the love you have for them. We love you, Lord. We give you praise. Thank you for all your blessings. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Amen.